All right, Mariners Mission Viejo, how are we doing this morning? Woo! Yes! That's what I'm talking about. You're in the front row and you're excited, you're ready to go. It's good to see you guys. Glad to be here with you today. Consider it an honor, a privilege to, to be amongst this fine collection. Uh, good-looking, very, very good-looking, unusually good-looking people of people here at, uh, at Mariner's Mission Viejo. Last time I was here, uh, there was a wall right here, and it's gone. So that's, that's something. That's amazing. Yeah, you can wave, and I can see you, and that's great. So I uh, just love being here with you this morning. I uh, love that you guys have got Tim Keller here. I don't know where he went. He's probably off teaching a class or something. Yeah, shout-outs for Keller. That's great. Yeah. Woo, a couple more. Yep, Keller. Even though he's a Seahawk fan, and that's... Unbiblical, I see that shirt over there. Prayer response will happen afterwards, that's great. Uh, but Tim and I worked on the same team, uh, work on the Irvine campus there together uh, with our Rooted in Life group team. So I love that he's here and love what your uh, community is about here and what you guys are doing. So all those things are incredible. Uh, so my name is John. Um, I, uh, I am the father of two uh, beautiful young girls. One of them is six years old, her name is Olivia. And the other one is a six-month-old, and her name is Lucy. And uh, as you know, we're in the middle of Orange County winter, right? Like I was driving down to 73 this morning, and the clouds were coming, and supposedly, get ready, it's going to rain later. So I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to freak out about that. Uh, so our house where we live, uh, we've got very thin windows. So uh, in the morning, we've been experiencing some pretty profound cold temperatures. We're talking like mid-60s when we wake up. Like it's... I got to reach for my socks and put on the flannel and that whole deal. So um, our daughter, Lucy, the six-month-old one, she gets really cold in the morning. So every morning when I see her waking up, this is uh, how she's properly dressed in the mornings at our house. <laughs> Isn't that great? Just smiles and everything. I mean, she's freezing. She's like a little popsicle, uh, but she's happy as could be. She's my little babushka. I love it. She's got the, got the whole thing going on. Uh, if I'm honest, if I could pull that look off in the morning, I probably would. That would be a little scary, but it would be much more comfortable, too. So uh, that's, that's a little look at, at her. She's great. We're really enjoying her. Um, so I'm happy to be here again today as you guys have been in this series, the series called Transform, looking through uh, the book of Romans, which is one of really, for me, one of the most profound books as it lays out out just a real clear explanation of the story of what, what the gospel is and how we respond to the gospel as, as followers of Jesus. And maybe even today, maybe you're not quite there yet and you have questions and we want to say we love that you're here. We absolutely love that you're here. And uh, what we want to say is that even in Romans, it speaks to us and some of our questions and things that we have about faith and, and how can this be real and how do we live in response to, to the things that have been laid out in front of us. So uh, over the last few weeks, you've looked at the truth that uh, sin is no longer our master. Can I get an amen from somebody on that one? All right. I come from a little bit of a talky-talky background church, so it's okay to talky-talk back as long as it's appropriate and you're not yelling angry things at me. So we can work on that a little bit. Uh, we've learned that sin is no longer our master. Amen? Amen. amen. Uh, we've learned that we have peace with God and we also have peace with, peace with others. Everybody said amen. We've also learned that there's a struggle that's still there, that we've been given this new nature this new position in Christ, but also there's this battle with our flesh that there's this war that is raged of becoming more of who God has already created us to be. And we've learned that in that struggle that God the Father sends us his Son and the power of his Holy Spirit to transform us, to give us the ability to become who he already says that we are. Amen. We're going to have a fun time, you and I. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, 
I just want to read here real quick, uh, Romans 8, 15. I love the truth that's in this verse. It kind of sums up the whole conversation of everything that's been taking place in Romans up to this point. Listen to these words in Romans 8, 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call out to him, Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Oh my goodness, there's some good words in there. Uh, Martin Luther once uh, talked about Romans. He said these words are so rich that you should actually write them down in gold. That there's such profound truth within the story of Romans. Even this passage as we look at it, there's three things in there. Paul's telling us, look, you have been adopted. Adopted by a heavenly father. So no matter what your past experience, bad, good, ugly, whatever it was, you're not defined by it anymore. Because God sees you and he adopts you as his son and his daughter. And not only that, he gives us the Holy Spirit to remind us that we've been adopted. I don't know about you, but I often forget the things I need to remember, and I remember the things that I need to forget. For example, if you were to ask me right now to list off the starting lineup of the 1989 San Francisco Giants, I could do that for you. <laughs> no problem. If you were to ask me what the shopping list is that's on my phone that I'm supposed to get after service for my wife, no idea. <laughs> and I guarantee you that I will bring some things home that are incorrect. But see, God knows that about us, that we forget the things that we need to remember. So he gives us the Holy Spirit to remind us actually daily that we have been adopted, that we have a new nature. And not only are we adopted, not only are we reminded, but this verse also tells us that we are heirs with an inheritance. That all that the Father has, all that the Father is, his power, his richness, his goodness has been given to us. That's an incredible, incredible thought. Everything that was available to Jesus is available to us. And we could stop right there, and we could say amen, and we could probably worship and celebrate, and we could end service early. And somebody said amen? Oh, just check it. Okay, so that's a, that's a hint. I won't go too long. Uh, but there's more to the story. Paul doesn't stop there. Actually, as we read the verse, the story continues. And it says this, But if we share in his glory... We must also share in his suffering. Amen? <laughs> Shoulder shrug, shrug a little bit. I don't know about you, but I read the first part of that verse, and yes, adopted, reminded, inheritance, all these great things. And now we read this part of the story, that if we're going to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. When I hear those two things, glory and suffering, for me, they're like two things that don't belong together. How could that be possible? It's like country music and hip-hop music. Some have tried and many have failed. Those two things do not go together. It's like maybe honesty and politics. I know that's a little sensitive, but sometimes just saying. Uh, entertainment and politics, especially these days, those two things go together. Uh, it's like breakfast for dinner. That's just not something you're supposed to do. Right? Right? No? No? No. That's wrong. That's incorrect. And McDonald's finally recognized this, right, because we can have... Sausage McMuffins all day long. Seems like a horrible idea. 
but apparently breakfast and dinner, they do go together now. Uh, I actually shared that illustration a while ago uh, with our Sunday night community at uh, uh, Irvine, and they got so upset at me, somebody started throwing a pencil at me. How could breakfast and dinner, those two things go together? It's called hyperbole, trying to make a point. And I actually brought a picture of my family having breakfast for dinner so you know that I'm not a lunatic. We enjoy breakfast for dinner. So there you go. That's Olivia. She's great. And my wife was uh, behind there. She's, there. she's there somewhere. But that was us doing breakfast for dinner. Uh, but how can these two things go together? Glory and suffering. It's one of those say what, excuse me moments. We must have read something wrong here. But we see this truth in our world and we see this truth in our lives. Some of the greatest things that we've accomplished, right? Some of the things that we experience, they come through roads of difficulty. Anybody ever have a conflict with the best friend? I'm looking at you guys, particularly over here. Yeah, you're in the middle of one right now? Is he sitting next to you? No? If the best friend is sitting next to you, maybe don't raise your hand, just a gentle nod. Anybody ever started a business and encountered difficulties along the way? Any parents out there? Oh, there's some suffering in parenting. I'm really early on in the role, but I got a six-year-old going on 16, so I could use some of your prayers for that. But we see this truth in our life. When we set out to accomplish things, when we experience things, um, from what I hear, working out can be quite a, a, a difficult experience. I haven't done that one for a while with a new baby. But we know that, right? When we, when we lift weights, so I hear there's a muscle tear and a micro tear and new muscles are birthed out of that. So we see this thing in, in, in our natural sense. And the same is true in our relationship with God. As the modern day profound theologian, Miss Kelly Clarkston, once said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Or as the subpar 1990s alternative pop band Chumbawamba once said, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to knock me down. Repeat, 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 repeat. So our culture understands this truth. But still we resist against it because I don't want it to be true. If glory and suffering to go together, you know what? Actually keep your glory. I don't want the suffering part. Why do these things exist? Why do we see this? And if Kelly Clarkston and Chumbawamba do not satisfy your po my point, as I hope they do not, uh, the Apostle Paul says this of this fact in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, Remember this new adoption, this new inheritance. We never give up. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Amen. I love the honesty of Paul. He's talking about the power of the gospel of salvation, but he's also talking about the very present reality in which we experience. That there is a truth that we can, that we can rest on, that we can know, that we can have an eternal hope, but there's also a present suffering that many of us, we experience, and even in this room today, you're carrying things that you're experiencing that, that are heavy, that there's a weight to them. You know, my kind of background growing up in, in church world and culture, so many great things that I appreciate about, about that. One of the things that I, that I saw maybe not always so helpful was 
there was sometimes this lack of honesty, you know what I mean, and vulnerability to, to, to say and communicate what's actually going on. You know, we do the 15 seconds of greeting, right? And we shake hands and we say amen and we say hallelujah, and that's fantastic. But what we also know is there has to be moments where there's conversations of honesty, when we're in community with one another, when we talk about that there is a real struggle. That yes, we believe in a present future and hope and glory and salvation, but currently we're caught in this middle place. That there's a struggle and there's sometimes there's even... It would say even a tension between what we know to be true and what we experience in front of us. Paul talks about this throughout Romans 8. He talks about even our bodies are caught in this in-between place. And he uses this word, he uses this word groan. Look for this word in Romans 8.23. He says, we believers, we also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, yes, that is true, as a foretaste of the future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too, we wait with eager hope for the day that God will give us full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Amen, new bodies. I'll take one of those for sure, right? But we know that as we age and we experience, we're not who we're going to be. C.S. Lewis says this of a Christian. If you meet a Christian, they're actually just a, they're a shadow of their future self. <laughs> that we're all in process. And even that one day, the scripture talks about that our bodies even will be completely restored and brought to their original state as they're intended to be. A glorified body where maybe we can have as much yogurt land and all those good things as possible. That, that sounds pretty awesome, actually. But it's more than that. It's more than that, that God has promised it, that there's a resurrection that takes place, that what you see in front of you, even this physical material world, even our physical material bodies and the sickness and the things that we carry, that they're not the end of the story. They don't have the final word over us, that Christ has been resurrected and us too in our bodies will one day be resurrected into perfect state with him again. Creation, creation waits for this moment creation and in the moment of the garden and God declared that all things are good and pleasing. Sin enters in and our world is fractured and, and, and now we see nature, it's full of beauty, but also nature is a killer. Like it's slowly dying off. It's not sustainable. Our nature is not sustainable. Our environment is not sustainable. Romans eight nineteen. for creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children are. Against its will, creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join with God's creation and freedom from death and decay. From death and decay. For we know that all creation has been, and here's that word again, groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Creation, its very self, has a sense that there's more to the story. This verse kind of paints the picture as if creation is like standing on its tippy toes, tippy toes, and it's waiting and it's looking and it's waiting for the future day to come when it will be made right, when everything will be put back together. And it's interesting as you look at the tense throughout Romans, really, Paul keeps going back and forth between who we are and who we will be, between what we have been given and what we will receive, between what we are and what we will become. Jesus himself does this throughout the Gospels when he talks about the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is here and yet it is coming. So what is it? Are we there yet? 
And the answer is it's both. It's both. The kingdom of heaven has come and it is coming. We have been given hope and we will receive a full hope. We are children and we will become as children of God. And so here we are, these people caught in between the place of two worlds. Jesus comes. He starts a new way. He inaugurates the kingdom, but it's not consummated. It hasn't come to completion yet. And us as the church, we sit in the place of in between those two worlds. I was thinking of a way to illustrate this. and I love, I love history, and I know some stuff of history, not a lot of things. Uh, but World War II, I'd like to study World War II, even though it's a hard one to say up here. Um, I mean, no, D-Day, right? D-Day, June 6, 1944. The moment where the Allied forces rallied together and they stormed the beaches of Normandy. And history recalls that moment as one of the most horrific battles that ever was. And in the year that would follow throughout World War II, the, the lives and the casualties that were lost and the horrific loss that happened there and the fracturing that happened there. But also history records that day, D-Day, as the beginning of the end. That it was imminent from that point as a united force fighting against this axis of evil, that the battle would be won. But it would take a full year until V-Day, V-Day in Europe, May 8, 1945, when the victory would be realized. The victory was imminent, but it wasn't realized for a year later. My wife and I, we had the opportunity on our honeymoon uh, 15 years ago. That should be easy for me because I got married in the year 2000, but I always have to stop and think about it. So 15 years ago, um, we were in Hawaii uh, celebrating together, and we, we wanted to go down and see uh, Pearl Harbor. So we thought that would be awesome. And the Pearl Harbor line was too long, three hours long, so we weren't able to do that. And then we saw that the USS Missouri was, was, was there. So we actually had a chance to go visit that. And I don't know why I forgot about it, but I was reminded as I was walking up that my, my grandfather, uh, he, was in the, he was in the Navy, and he fought on, on the USS Missouri, and he fought all over the South Pacific. And history guys, you, you might know in, um, what's the date? September 2nd, 1945, there's the signing, right, of, of Japan with the United States, and there's a, there's a piece that happens there on the USS Missouri. And my grandfather was actually on the boat that time of the, of the signing. Talk about amazing. And again, a nod to our veterans. We cannot thank you enough for the sacrifice that you've committed to, to protecting our freedom. But I love that picture and the stories that he tells of the friends that he lost, of the things that he saw the things that many of you have experienced, there's a battle that rages, but the battle comes with a future hope and a future promise. We know how the story ends. Jesus has come, and he is coming again. The kingdom is here, and the kingdom is coming. We have been given freedom, and we will experience a total and complete freedom. And in this moment, we have battle stories, don't we? Stories of loss, stories of tragedy, stories of pain, stories of conflict. But what this passage tells us is those stories do not define us, nor do they have the final word over us. But we're waiting to experience the fullness of something that's already been given to us. Jesus says he's uh, sort of, landing and finishing up his earthly ministry, 
his disciples, they ask him a great question. Don't you ever think about, about that? What are the questions you might ask Jesus if you were face-to-face with him? That would be a fun thing to do. And they turn to him and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. That's a great question. And his response is this. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wants us to pray with that expectation, to live with that expectation for more of the future to come in to our present. For more of what we've been promised to receive it and to experience now. For more of heaven to invade our present earth. My, uh, our six-year-old, she's quite inquisitive. And she does this thing when it's bedtime. Uh, she knows the trick by which to uh, get daddy to stay up longer with her and have conversations with her. And the trick that she's learned already is to have spiritual conversations. So spiritual conversations with my six-year-old at bedtime. From all, we're all over the place. And just last week, we, we were having this conversation. He said, Daddy, what, what is heaven like? Great question. And I got to talk to her about how heaven is this, this place where we get to go and we get to be with God forever and we get to enjoy him forever and, and there's no more sickness. She's like, really? Not even like colds and coughs? <clears throat> no, there's no more sickness. There's no more death. Really? There's no more death. Yeah, there's no more death. There's no more pain. There's no more hurt because we're forever with God. She said, that's, that's pretty great. So she's trying to process it. So if you have like a bad life, you get to have like a better, better life. So nothing, so you, you don't have a bad life that's wasted. So you can have a good life. I said, yeah, that's a bit what it's like. And then I took it one step too far in theology. And I said, and here's the good news. And it, she didn't quite process this one. Here's the good news is we get to go to heaven, but heaven actually gets to come down to us and invade us, and we get to live in this present reality of the kingdom as kingdom representatives and ambassadors of the Most High. And then she fell asleep. But But there is this truth in which we pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And yes, one day we will be resurrected and we'll be caught up with him and, and we'll be at rest and at peace with him in heaven. But even that is not the end of the story. It's not a we escape and that's the end. We get to go and be with him and he's coming again. And he comes again to bring a new heaven and a new earth to invade this earth. Where the lion will lay down with the lamb. Where we will reign with him for eternity. And we get to experience parts of that heaven on earth now. We experience it in our celebrations with one another. We experience it when we worship together with one another. We experience when we see and and experience incredible stories of healing. We get to see God's kingdom come to heaven now. Not fully, but my prayer is for it to come come quickly. Why why does it have to, to take so long? As I was thinking about this and I'm taking notes this week in the office and got all the notifications, as I'm sure many of you did, of what was going on in Paris and now in Beirut. And, and, and our world is broken. We know that. We see evil all around us. And so for us, and my prayer, my prayer is, Dad, <laughs> Abba, Dad, how long? How long? 
How long will our world live in brokenness and isolation? How long will those who exploit children do things of hatred and unspeakable things? How long will cancer claim the ones that we love? How long will I be stuck in relational turmoil? How long will sickness invade my body? How long will I live in isolation and separation? God, how long? Let your kingdom come now is my prayer. And the promise is, is that it is coming and that it will come. And for some of you, as you think about what is your dad and Abba, how long prayer, it might be even too difficult for you to voice. You can't even put it into words. And even hearing these words, of, which I hope are of hope and of encouragement, you're, you're wrestling and you're wondering if it could actually be possible. When my wife was pregnant with our first daughter, uh, we had a bit of a rough go in our first pregnancy. She had a situation where we had to do the fetal monitoring during the last three months almost every day. And we had a couple of scares where we thought she was going into early labor, which would not have been good because of the situation that, was, that she was having. And we were just, just riddled with anxiety, to be honest, just riddled with, with fear and sadness. And I remember uh, one such day when we were doing the fetal monitoring, uh, they thought that she was going into early preterm labor, which would not have been a good thing. And she, and she got rushed off across the hall, and, and that was happening. And, and, and thanks, thank you, thanks to God that that situation was okay. But I remember us driving home that night, and we barely said a word to one another because we were just overcome with grief. We were overcome with sadness. Couldn't even put into words what we were experiencing. And that night, I will never forget it. I could still remember it. It's so vivid. That night, I had, I had a dream. I had a dream that we were in the middle of that day again, only this time that our daughter was born. And up to this point, um, we, did, we haven't even landed on a name yet because we were kind of in that place of we didn't want to get that hopeful. We wanted to be hopeful, but we also we were, we were stuck in a weird place. And I remember in my dream that our daughter was born. And I got to pick her up and hold her in my arms. And I looked to my wife and I said, look, here she is. It's Olivia. She's beautiful. We're okay. This is Olivia. She's perfect. And I woke up from that moment in my dream. And my wife was uh, sleeping in our recliner because she couldn't do the bed situation. So she's, she's there. And in that moment, three in the morning, she's awake and tears are just streaming down her eyes, down her face. And I got to share with her. God, I think God just spoke to me. He spoke to us. And then we had got to pray in that moment. And, and then thanks be to God, we got to experience that miracle of our daughter being, being okay. And it just was a reminder, a picture to us of how God sees us, how he knows us, and how he loves us. And sometimes things don't work out that way, and that's been also part of our story. But it doesn't make the hope that we stand on any less secure. Our God is a constant help in our time of need. And even for you today, if you cannot even voice your daddy how long prayer, if you can't even express it, I've got great news for you. That's what the gift of the Holy Spirit is for us. Look at this verse, look at this truth here. In Romans 8, 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us, alongside us, with, here's that word again, with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. 
even if you can't utter it, even if you can't communicate it, God's spirit is within you, testifying to, to, to God and his spirit, praying with us. And the Father knows all hearts, knows what the spirit is saying. For the spirit pleads with us, believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who are called, who love God and are called according to the purposes of those who love him. Even if you can't express it, even if it seems too dangerous, even if it seems too painful, God's spirit is praying on behalf of you, interceding on behalf of us. And he promises that all things work together to the good of those who love him. That's an incredible promise. But also it could be a promise where how could that actually be possible? How can good actually come out of my situation? That's a question I'm asked a lot. How can good actually come out of this? Here's how we know that good could come out of our broken situations. Because God took the worst situation, our worst bad, when he sent his son Jesus to be with us. And you and I, we rejected him. We despised him. We were enemies of him. We even demanded that he die on a cross. God took that kind of bad, the worst bad possible, and he turned it around for our best good. God takes the worst bad and he turns it for our, worst and our best good. Jesus on the cross experienced the abandonment of the Father so that we would never have to. We have an eternal hope. We have an eternal salvation. This is not stuff of fairy tales. This is not stuff of wishful thinking. Jesus experienced the death that we were meant to experience so that we could have the life that we could never experience for ourselves. The suffering servant of Jesus brings us, brings us eternal life, brings us eternal hope. Look at these words from Hebrews 6. And this hope, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us and he has become our eternal high priest. We have this hope because of what Jesus has done. It's not up to our ability to power through a situation. It's not up to, to how we encounter difficulties. It's up to what Jesus has already done and spoken true over you through the cross and through the resurrection. He has resurrection life not just for him, it's for us. And it's not just for us in this room. It's for all of humanity. It's for all of creation. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to remind us of that truth. And we carry that within us. We carry him within us. So when we face difficulties, we can respond in a way that others would say, what is different about you? Why are you, why are you encountering these things and you're honest about them, but why do you still have a sense of encouragement, hope, and joy? Because how we respond to sufferings, even of ourselves, they point towards a hope. They point towards a salvation that the world cannot understand. It's good news. It's good news. And how did Christ accomplish this for us? How did he accomplish this glory? No surprise. It came through suffering. It came through suffering. If I asked you to quote Psalms 23, most of us could do that in this room today probably. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, one of my favorite passages happens to be just to the left of that one, Psalms 22. Uh, this passage, which was written some 600 years before Jesus was betrayed, before he prayed in the garden for another way, but concluded that 
not his way, but the will of his father be done. 600 years before he took up his cross and carried it down the road. 600 years before he went to the stone of the rock and was hung on the cross. 600 years before he died a criminal's death. Psalms 22 was written. And most theologians believe that Jesus, who knew his scriptures, the psalm was written for this exact time. And most of them believe that he actually recited the psalm word for word on the cross. What I want to invite you to do is even in this moment, I want to ask you just to close your eyes. Be thinking, what is your dad, how long prayer? And listen to these words from Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my groans, there's that word again, of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I find no rest. I am a worm, not a man. I'm scorned by everyone, despised by people. All who see me, they mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It melts within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. As he cried out on the cross, I thirst. They have pierced my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and glot over, gloat over me. And they divide my clothes amongst them. And they cast lots, lots for my garment. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far from me. For you are my strength. Come quickly to help me. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cries for help. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him, and may your hearts live forever. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down in dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. It is finished. Jesus on the cross paid the price not only for your sin. He paid the price for your suffering. Death, where is your sting? final word spoken over us is the word of salvation that we get to experience today. Our God is a refuge in a time of distress. He's a strong fortress, a strong tower. Jesus paid the price. Jesus offers new life. And as the band makes their way up. I want us just to sit in this, this moment and consider again what is your daddy how long prayer? What are you currently sitting in?
Maybe it's something ahead in the future that you can't control, that you can't predict, and you've tried to think about all the different scenarios of, of how it could turn out. What God's Spirit wants to say is release those things to him today. Because he can be trusted, because he gives us an eternal hope, and that even our glory and suffering, that God takes those things and works them for the good. Let's do this. I ask you to stand as we ready ourselves to respond. I just want to encourage you. It's something that we do from time to time. We want to encourage you just to put your hands out in front of you. There's nothing magical or mystical about these kinds of posturings, but sometimes it's helpful for even our bodies to posture ourselves to to respond to what God is saying. I ask you just to, to close your eyes. So sometimes that, that's helpful as well. And begin thinking about what is that daddy hell long prayer? And then consider the sacrifice of our Savior. suffering is not wasted, that it's not the final word, that there's an eternal hope. So Father, we pray in this moment for your kingdom to come, for your Holy Spirit to come, for you to pour out your love on your sons and daughters through your Holy Spirit. Pour out your love, pour out your grace, pour out your comfort. We respond to you now. Guys, we have a prayer team to, to my right and my left, so let's not let's not leave this place without taking advantage of praying together. God's the, the prayer of, of a united people getting together with somebody else is a very deeply moving thing to God's heart, I believe. So let's take advantage of this time as we worship with singing and, and praying together.